but letting go. There's a lot of things in our life here that we don't understand. A lot of a lot of places we go, a lot of things that we go through, we don't seem to understand. But I guarantee you, everybody in this room, if you've got any living done at all, there's some things you can let go of, and you need to. Because the things you have keeps dragging you under, and you keep having the same problem, you keep dragging you under. You have the same mental problems, you have the same social problems. I'm going to talk to you today. I was debating on whether to do this, but... Um, maybe you grew up this way because that's the way I grew up. And it's the way, unfortunately, that I raised my boys, my daughter too, probably. See, when I was growing up, I thought, as long as, long as you're doing all these rules right, I didn't think that it justified or, or made your relationship with the Lord, but there was something about a bunch of rules just, I just did. My mom and dad didn't sit down and give me a list of rules and say, you can do this, you can't do that. If you don't, if you do this, you'll be, you'll be okay. If you don't do that, you're going to not be okay. But a problem that a lot of us who had that mentality and how we were raised, and many times those who raised their kids that way, it begins to put a false sense of reality and a false sense of what God is and who God is. And so you begin to hang on to other things. You begin to dwell in other places. You begin to let other things uh, lead you in life. God is good. I'm telling you, I want to say this because I don't want you to, I don't want you to think that he is a bad God and that he has a big stick and he's going to reward you with a club every time you make a mistake. Because in my life, how I felt a lot growing up, if I messed up, I, let me tell you, there's a difference in, in respecting God and respecting his position, who he is. And you reverently say, oh, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the mess I've made. I'm sorry for the mistakes I've made. Then going to bed saying, hmm, did I do anything wrong? I need to pray about it. So I'll do a blanket prayer. Lord, forgive me if, if everything I've done today, if I've done something that was offensive to you, please forgive me. And then go to sleep. Because we felt like we had a duty. And a lot, of, a lot of us grew up with that mentality. We never really understood that God really has something good for us. When I started pastoring here, there was still a lot of that. It was in my own spirit. Some of you will remember probably uh, certain things that I, I failed miserably at. First couple years we were here, I would use different examples in the message, and it was usually harsh or maybe something was questionable about it, and I still mess up sometimes. Don't think that I don't. But I'll never forget, um, I was using my kids for an example, and they were in the congregation. This is when they were teenagers. And uh, Brother Cooper said, after service, he pulled me aside. He said, I want to talk to you. I said, okay. It might have, through the week, he came down to my house, and he, uh, he told me, there's some things that we do that we think we're not doing any hurt. Listen to me, please. We get so caught up in, in who we are and our, as, our, as a person. We think in my standards, and, and they have to meet my standards. Let me tell you, they need to meet your standards. They need to rise above your standards. But they're 15 years old. They're 16 years old. They're not going to meet them yet. Give them enough fortitude on who God is, and they'll meet them later. So I, he talk, pulled me aside, and he talked to me, and he said, uh, I don't think I would use that example or use your kid or anybody in your family again as an example in your message. And he explained, because they will begin to resist, resent God. And you know what? 
a lot of things in my kids' lives, they've resented God. They've looked at him as, as a big father, always looking at him with, with a displeasing, unpleasing look. And I am the one they learned that from because they would look at me when they were, they were living ways that I didn't approve of. I always gave them a look or a feeling or whatever. Don't ever mistake teaching or a look or, a, or a, what is expected out of you of a parent or, or someone else to be the same way that God looks at you because God does not look at you that way. Every one of you, every one of you, it doesn't matter your past, it doesn't matter your present. God looks at you with such a pure love. And I'm, I'm, a lot of us really think of love as something we touch or a, oh, a puppy, we pet it. It doesn't look at you that way. He looks at you with a mature love. That you can't do this. There is nothing that you can't do. There's nothing that you can't overcome. He knows every problem you've ever had. It doesn't matter. He knows there's things about you that you can't overcome this. And he loves you enough to tell you that. And my mentality and the way I thought so much, and I'm not so bad anymore, I, I begin to see that God can have something good in my life. And, and one that can witness this, and she'll stand, she won't stand, but she can verify that she, I used to always think that God, what would God ever do for me? What would God ever do for me? I always think, I always thought that, and man, we were holy, or there was something about us that was separate because of the way we stifled ourselves. And, and I don't mean this bad, but we worked at Teen Challenge, you know. I kind of thought, well, we were, we're in this thick and thin of all this, and uh, we're supposed to live this way. It keeps us humble. But sadly, a lot of us. Now, let me tell you this. Maybe your parents were the same as me. They don't know it, but they failed miserably. Maybe you don't know it, but maybe you're just like I was. Worried about what everybody else thought instead of worrying about yourself and your own family. I remember one time I had to confess to Tyson. He was older and He's about 20, I guess, and, and I just grabbed him. By now, it's a little bit too late to have a proper perspective of what I should have had. But he came to my house, and we were working on the house, and I just took a hold of him, and I said, Tyson, I don't care what anybody says. It doesn't matter what anybody says. I believe in you, and I'm proud of you. Probably the first time in his life that he heard that from me. Pathetic. See, we have things we got to let go of. It's not necessarily very liberating to me or, or real exciting to me to think about me saying all this and about letting go, but there's things that's controlling us that we need to let go. When Tyson's 12 or 13, and Layton's 9 or 10 years old, and, and I have certain things that I wouldn't allow them to do. One of the things that comes back, and it's a scar, and it, and it haunts me from time to time when I think about it, is, is uh, when we first moved here, it was about in the 6th or 7th grade, and they were, Tyson had a bunch of people out for his birthday party at his house, and he was going to get a radio out there. I was out there around the campfire. He was going to dance or whatever it was. I'll never forget this. I know he hasn't forgot it, and... and 
It's a, it's a deep scar. And he started to get some, I don't know, Goopa Stank or somebody, some weird, some groups I didn't know who were. It doesn't matter. But I thought, he is not going to listen to that. All those kids out there around the campfire at our house. See, I didn't consider him. I considered the event. I had a James and Dean. You've got to be old to know who James and Dean are. Who knows who James and Dean are? Thank you. Four of us. And it was beach music. Round, round, get around, I get around. Well, that's, that's the kind of music I gave them to listen to. What I'd done is I humiliated my son based on what I thought I would be viewed as. And I was wrong. I was wrong. Letting go of things that should never be in your life. I was probably uh, 40 years old before I ever started grasping that, that God's got something good. And God's not a mad God. And God's going to do things in your life and give you direction in your life for a purpose. You know, being good just to be good doesn't really accomplish a lot. But when you do good and you serve the Lord because there's a purpose, that means a completely different story. It's like a, your wife or your husband looking at you, you're just being good for, for being good's sake. But when they, go, they are good because they want to do something for you and they love you, totally different perspective. And I want you to know right now, God is for you. doesn't matter what you messed up. And let me tell you, if I made my share, you better believe it. But God has got a plan for you and he's got purpose in your life. It's not just a general thing, oh, you hear listen to somebody on TV. You can hear that every time you listen to some people. God's got plans for you. You're, so I'm really torn between, but we'll go to Isaiah chapter 43. Verse 18 and 19, it says, the Lord says forget what happened before and do not think about anything about the do not think anything about the past look at the new thing that i'm doing it's already happening don't you see it i'll make a road in the desert and rivers and dry land something about this passage it really speaks to me and it should speak to you because you know what he's referring to he's referring to the children leaving egypt this is years hundreds of years later and God's spoken to him, and he's trying to encourage the apostles. Now, I'm going to tell you, you may be a product of someone just like me. And maybe you're a product of, of someone, your father or your mother, putting so many things upon you. But God has already started doing something different. If you're here this morning, I want you to get out of your mind and out of your thinking. There's a harsh God, and he's really dogging you, and he's on your case, and he's with a big paddle. And he's going to whop you over the head with it the first time you mess up. It's not the case at all. I want to read this again. The Lord says, forget what happened before. Everything in my past and everything in your past, you've got to forget it. If you don't learn to forget, it doesn't mean that it's totally erased, but learn that it's not an important part of your life now, except to learn from. 
And do not think about the past. Look at the new thing I am, I am going to do. It's already happening. And I begin to think about in here, different people have come to church here in the last six months and they've given their heart to the Lord because there's something new happening. There's something new happening. Something new happening in your life. And how important is it that you have a proper perspective of what God is and who God is? In the book of John, chapter 5, if you'd go there, chapter 5, verse 2. In Jerusalem, this has been preached from lately, but I'm going to give a different perspective about it. In Jerusalem, there is a pool with five covered porches, and it's called Bethesda in the Hebrew language. And the pool, the pool is near the sheep gate, and many sick people were lying on the porches beside the pool. Some were blind, some were crippled, some were paralyzed. And a man who had been sick for 38 years, there was a man lying there who had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw the man and knew he had been sick for such a long time, Jesus asked him, do you want to be well? And the sick man answered, sir, there is no one to help me into the pool when the water starts moving. While I'm, I'm, in the, while I'm coming to the water, someone else gets in. And Jesus said, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. And immediately the man was well, and he picked up his mat and walked and began to walk. And this happened the same day was the Sabbath. I want to go there just, just for a second. I want to reflect on this man's life. Uh, we've talked about what he thought. Uh, it was only normal that he, because he had always been there, he always experienced the same things. He didn't really have the ability to think beyond about somebody coming to bring healing to him. He didn't have that ability because he had been there for so long. And let me tell you, you may have been somewhere a long time and you don't have the ability in yourself to think that God can free you from something. He can liberate you from something in your life. But this God can deliver you. The same way Jesus himself showed up that day, on that particular day, he was there, and it was in the synagogue, and the Sabbath. He'll go back to the synagogue in a minute. Do you want to be healed? Simple and yet profound. If I looked at you and I knew everything about you, and I could speak to you, do you want to be free from that addiction? Do you want to be free from that other person in your life? Do you want to be free from the scars your father made upon you? Now, I may not have made physical scars. I may have made some emotional or sexual scars. But I made some scars. Maybe you've been plagued by that. And Jesus, in a sense, is the same way, talking to the same guy. Now, he'd been there for 38 years. And maybe he was like Mephibosheth. Maybe someone fell with him running from the whatever and fell. And maybe he was paralyzed and he was crippled because of that. Maybe for 30 years he thought about when he used to walk when he was a little boy. Well, Jesus said, do you want to be healed? And instead of listening to what Jesus said, he responded, the man, sick man answered, sure, there is no one to help me into the water. In other words, the only way I'm ever going to get out of the situation I'm in is if I get in the water when the angel of the Lord comes down and stirs the water and I get in first. That's the only way I'll ever be healed. Why? Because they had been in a mentality without the Messiah, without Jesus, For so long. And maybe you've been somewhere and living where you live and, and the way you live and the way you think for so long, you don't think there's any hope for you. You think you're just like him. You, you, you know, it's going to come from a miracle. Let me tell you something. God does a lot of miracles. A lot of miracles. 
And he would do a lot more if we would just open our eyes and allow him to do the miracles in our life. So here we have this man, he's, he's kind of caught up in the moment, but Jesus says something so profound. Do you want to be healed? He never even recognized it. Jesus never recognized when he said, I don't have anybody put me in the water. That wasn't the case. That wasn't the issue. The issue is, do you want to be? What are you willing to let go? What is really important in your life? Let me tell you, sometimes when I speak, I seem kind of harsh and, and like I'm angry. I'm not angry. I'm hoping we, we wake up. That your life doesn't have to be the way it is. Your life doesn't have to go the way it has. There's always a plan. There's always a, a more direction in your life. But this man was going to have to let go. Jesus said, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. And immediately the man was well and he picked up the mat and began to walk. Now listen, this guy for 38 years had sat there and he couldn't move and never, somebody had to carry him everywhere he went and they had to take him home and carry him back. For 38 years, uh, who had the cast on their arm? Yeah, okay, come up here a minute. He had a cast on his arm. I kept asking him if he could put a zipper on the cast. And he looked at me like I was stupid, kind of like some of you are. But, okay, what did you find about your arm? that Did it work the same as it did before you, before you put the cast on it? Okay, what did you try to do? Did it work very good? No, it didn't. Could you shoot? Not really. Not really. There's, there's all side effects. That was just from six weeks with a cast. Could you imagine if he had been 38 years with the cast? His arm would have been almost non-existent. It had been nothing but a pure bone in his arm, and he had no ability at all. Now, that was a short time to come up here, but thank you very much. For six whole weeks, he couldn't move it, but then he began to move it, and so now it's probably working a little better. But 38 years of this man thinking a certain way, believing a certain way, because he looked at himself and physical and his physical ability, and he didn't see any hope. All of a sudden, Jesus said, stand up, take up your bed, and walk in instantly. Not only did he get healed, but I think he witnessed his eyes and his legs and his knees and his thighs and everything began to come back in shape. Something miraculous was happening to him. But what for? What was the purpose of his life? I want you to notice something here. But they uh, picked up his bed and began to walk. This happened on the Sabbath day, so the, Jews, uh, so, the, so the Jews said to the men who had been healed, Today was the Sabbath day. It is against their law to carry your mat on the Sabbath day. But he answered, the man answered. But he answered the man who made me well. Okay, can I restart? Thank you. Verse 10. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, Today is the Sabbath. Now, that doesn't mean a lot to us, but it meant a lot to them. It is against our law for you to carry your mat on the Sabbath. But he answered, the man who made me well told me, pick up your bed and walk. And they asked who the man was who told you to pick up your bed and walk. But the man who, had, who was healed did not know who it was because there was many people in that place and Jesus had left. Jesus went there for one reason, to make an impact upon him. I don't know who else, he, I don't know who he, he spoke to or anything else, but I know that it was an impact for him. 
we think that's the end of the story. Let's go over a couple more verses. Let's go to verse, uh, verse 14. And later, Jesus found the man at the temple and said to him, See, you are well now. Stop sinning so that something worse doesn't happen to you. The man left and told the people that Jesus was the one who had healed him. Go back to verse 14. Later, Jesus found the man in the temple. What was he doing? What was he doing at the temple? I think he would have been rejoicing, glad about resurrection and God raised him and, and touching his body. He didn't know who the man was, but he knew it had to come from God. So Jesus sees him there and he says, What to him? Stop sinning. Did that mean that he went to the temple and began to perform gross sexual acts or, or, or some, some type of deep sinful acts of, of stealing or embezzling or something? I don't think that's it at all. I think what happened, he went to the temple to get whatever, maybe he's showing himself to the priest that he was healed. But when he went into, but sometimes I get these crossing paths and these thoughts and they confuse I'll get it. In the temple. And Jesus went and found him. And Jesus said, be careful. If you don't start sinning, something worse will come upon you. Now stop for just a minute to think, what is worse than being crippled for 38 years? All his years of his career was over. Everything in his life would have been over. What was worse than being crippled for 38 years? I'll tell you what. If he didn't change the way he thought, his perspective of who God was was going to be worse. A worse thing will come upon you because of how you think. And I don't care what I've done wrong. I don't care what somebody else has done wrong to make you think the way you think about God being judgmental and God being angry and God being vindictive. If you don't have the right view of God and understanding of who he is, you'll end up in a worse place than you were in your physical, physical shape. One more scripture. Go to Ecclesiastes in chapter 9. Before I go there, I want to, I want to reflect back to uh, uh, John chapter 5 and, and verse 2. Because I want to say something to you. The pools of Bethesda, the pool of Bethesda. All this time this guy had been sitting by this pool called Bethesda, which means mercy. See, it was by mercy, it was by grace that he was saved. It wasn't by his great works. It wasn't by something fantastic that he had done. The same way in your life and my life, it is by grace that we'll be saved. It is by his mercy that he's seen fit to deal with our heart. You know, we're talking about our discipleship class that's going to start and, and about where do you want to start? Where, where do we need to start in this? And in and, and the beginning, chapter 3 Genesis, when man fell, they need to have an understanding that they, they, they serve a God. 
and they have a, a to be there's a purpose for them to to, to feel compassion and feel uh, convicted in their life. Look in, in uh, Ecclesiastes chapter nine verse eleven. I saw something else here, something else on earth. The fastest runner does, doesn't always win the race. The strongest soldier doesn't always win the battle. The wisest does not always have food. The smartest does not always become wealthy. And the talented one does not always receive praise. Time and chance happens to everyone. You see, we look at a lot of people that look like they're a lot better than us. We think, well, they can't help but serve God. Look how good they are. Let me tell you, if you only knew everything in everybody's life and all the issues of everybody's life. So there's nothing just... It's not about running fast. It's not about being the smartest. It's not about being the wisest. None of that guarantees you any success. Success comes when you find the Lord and you give your heart to Him and you have a proper understanding of Him. I would hate to think that we've ever had an altar call here. We said, would you come? Would you come? Because you're sorry, no good for nothing. You should never come to church feeling that way. It never should it be proclaimed from this pulpit how dirty, rotten scoundrel you are. You're a sinner? Yes. You're a failure? You better believe it. But we serve a God who's full of grace and He's rich in mercy. And He is reaching out with His Word into each of our hearts, regardless of our past experience, regardless of our failures. Can you let it go? What's occupying your life, my life? What are you thinking right now? I could probably guess some things. Just a preacher manipulating words, trying to get my attention to to make a commitment. Let me tell you something. There ain't nothing to me. There ain't no checkoff list. If every time somebody gives their heart to the Lord, that I got check off. But there is a check off in your life. I can, I'll go right on, I'll have my life, and I'll do things after church, and I'll go out and eat, whatever we do. But there is something monumental in your life if you don't come to the Lord, and you don't accept Him. You don't receive Him as, as your Savior. So what's holding on? What's holding on? You know, there's a lot of effort went into this service today. About 50 people were working here and doing different things that we do. All week long, there's a guy, a bearded guy here named Clinton, not Clinton, but Cody Walker, and he was working on sound and trying to fix things and add some stuff and blah, blah, blah. And it's all about this moment in your life, every bit of it. It's not about how good I speak. It's not about how good they sing. It's not just about how good you feel or we make you feel. We try to welcome everybody here. It's all about this moment so that you will come. Listen to me. A lot of people spend a lot of time trying to make the environment, do whatever we can. But there's one thing we can't do. We cannot bring conviction into your life. When the Holy Spirit tugs on your heart, He's working on your mind. He's working on your soul. 
respond to him because he's a good, a good, good father. He's not out to ridicule or put you down. He wants to do something great in your life. Great in your life.